You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm with my good friend and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, people? It's good to be back. It absolutely is. It feels like it's been longer than it has since we've talked. I don't know why that is. It might have been because I had a vacation to Southern California last week. Uh, I did not come back with the COVID. Good Um, job. I I masked up on the plane. And they pretty much make you wear a mask everywhere you go down there. Yeah. So I was all good. And the beaches, I know there's a lot of like hysteria about beaches, but when you actually go to the beach, you find that people are spread apart by about 20 yards each because no one wants to be on top of somebody else's cabana or umbrella or chairs. It's, it looks from an aerial shot that everybody's wedged in. But when you're actually on the ground, Nick, there's tons of space. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, but not only do they not want to be on top of the cabana or the umbrella, nobody wants the COVID. Yeah, nobody right. wants COVID. There was, <laughs> right, there was one, one lady one. in particular that did definitely did not want the COVID. We went Uh-oh. jet skiing in uh, San Diego Harbor. And this lady went full-on Gestapo Nazi revolt on a family having a picnic nearby that did not have that they had masks. Nick. They just were not pulled up properly over one's nose. And when I looked to see what the commotion was, because she was telling and going crazy, she had threatened to call the military on this family. I realized the problem was they could not fit the sandwiches in their mouth with the mask up. Oh, yeah. That was the issue. The issue was they had to eat and drink the food they had prepared for the picnic. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think it's crazy that this woman went crazy on them. You know, it's like, she what's really the did. problem? Especially like, 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 really, what's the problem? Like, did she need to sit next to them and was then appalled by the fact that they weren't covering their noses? Like, Back up. Like, if you don't feel comfortable, then stay away from them. Yeah, that I never understood. I've never understood on the, on the internet at all. I, I can't understand how these videos happen where someone who wants someone else to do something, whether it be, because I've seen it on both sides, I've seen someone want someone to wear a mask, and then I've seen someone want someone to take their mask off and, like, you know, be an American or whatever. <laughs> and that whole weird line of logic. Anyway, every time I see the video, they're so fucking close to each other. It's like, wait, exactly. social yeah. distance. And this isn't an issue. Like right. just stay apart from each other. I don't want to talk to you when I'm out. That's where I'm at right now. I don't want to be near you. And then we don't have to have a conversation with the mess. Like I don't even want to be like, 
Like, please just don't even look like your eyes are giving me COVID. Like, don't look at me. Hey, so what do you do? Cause I was in this situation, right? So I was in the grocery store and you know, I, I frequent this place. So the people there know me. So I'm in the grocery store and dude walks up and he's like, he, he works there and he's kind of joking with me about some stuff. Okay. And then he, he wants to get into some, he's wearing a mask, right? So he gets into some real talk about what's going on with the school system and, you know, what's the plan for kids going back to school or whatever. And, you know, wearing a mask and talking isn't the most comfortable thing. And sometimes it can be difficult to fully understand somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's sitting there talking to me. He just pulls the mask down. Yeah. Can you imagine having a lisp and a mask? You, you know what I'm saying? But he exactly, but he just legit just pulled it down off his face and just kept talking. So I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I guess I am protected because I'm wearing my mask, but you know, it's like, you just pulled your mask down. Like, like, I don't think that's okay. And then, you know, actually what my brain was, was like, imagine all the other people who were passing us by while we're having this conversation. And all these people are required to wear masks to get into the store. And here's this dude who works at the store mask under his chin, having a conversation with me. I have no idea how this works. I just, I don't have any idea about it because if you're at work all day, I've worked in a grocery store. I, I used to work for Kroger when I was 19 years old. I was a meat and seafood boy and <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I, because you can't, you can't leave a bouffant cap on all day while you're working. It's impossible. You're, you're working like you're sweating, you're moving, yep. you're constantly touching. It. You're constantly touching stuff at a grocery store. You're constantly helping customers. You're putting fruits and vegetables away. You're yeah, like the or, heat, like from your own breath, like right, yeah, <laughs> over and over and over, like for eight hours plus a day. I think that what we want is compliance, like the like the scouts try. But for me, I understand when someone who's at work wants to pull their mask down. I just do like yeah, I, I, and, I, and I, I have no, that. I have no weird things like it's not like oh, how could you do no, he's. He's the mask is filthy. The mask is filthy after one shift. Yeah. And it's, and it's hot. And you know, I'm not the only person he's been talking to. And I will say this, that the, the, I get the funniest feeling when I take my mask off after having had it on and having had conversation with people. Like if I go to the grocery store with my wife and I have to talk to her about different things, man, my lips feel like they've been vibrating. Yeah, man. You, little... know, you, get that, you get that feeling, you take them off, and it's just like your lips are going. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many, before we move on, how many people do you now know that have contracted COVID 19? Uh, well, you know, what's interesting about that Con- is. Confirmed, that, not suspected, because everybody so, suspects okay. and they're so, all so, so here's the deal. So, personally, no, I don't personally know anyone. That's really odd, right? COVID. Well, you know why it's you really odd, right? People. Well, you know why it's really odd because uh, the cases to, are blowing up, and you live nah, in the man, northeast. Not and that, <laughs> according to the news, nine out of nine black people know somebody who's got COVID. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, hold up, nine out of nine black people know somebody who's got COVID. Man, I ran to the mirror just to double check. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. You, you have, you're the ninth one. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what? So, no, nah, man, it's crazy. Like, I haven't, it's I so don't know odd anybody. that you don't, because you don't know anybody that has it. So, I have, uh, I COVID. know two people. <laughs> I have COVID. Uh, I could, I could, but I don't, I doubt it because I have the tiger blood. I have that O negative. Okay. That <laughs> right. Blood. So, anyway, um, two people, neither have been sick. One did lose their sense of smell and taste. Outside of that, they felt like a million bucks. I think that we have to be smart, but not be hysterical. I yeah, think and I think that's, that's where. Uh, yeah, I think that's where most people are. So I think so far so good. You know, I think it's just there are some people, pockets of people, who are scared. Um, but yeah, I feel like scared we've scared and terrified are different. Scared yeah. and hysterical are different. And I, yeah. think, and that I think that's where what the media are, reports is terrified yeah. and hysterical. And I just say this, and I'm sorry to interject, but uh, I'm not that sorry. But it's <laughs> sorry, we're not sorry. It's from from my background in journalism and having a degree in it. Again, I always repeat to people: there's an axiom in journalism: we never write a story that says all the planes landed safely. That's not a good story to write. It's not exceptional when all the planes land. Land, sorry. But the reality is all the planes land most of the time. Yeah. And with, with this, the planes are landing a lot. More people than you know are masking up. More people than you know are staying at home. More people than you recognize are social distancing. And more people than you know get it and are totally fine. And keep moving on. Yep. And that's the difference. You know, there's a difference between getting on just to stay with the plane analogy. There are a lot of people get on the plane and they're scared to take off. And then there are people who just will not get on the plane. Right. Yeah. There's There's a fine line today though. We, we have some interesting little topics to, to go over. Of course, NBC, you NBC universal, released Peacock recently and would love to talk about what that means to the independent filmmaker. We have a new funding opportunity for filmmakers that's out there that we want to share a little place for you to get investment. Or if you're an investor listening to this, a place for you to put your investment dollars into film. And then we also had a a fun topic that, well, it's fun, but it, it has a business purpose and it really is a business conversation And it's the world of Netflix. And I'd love to start there, Nick, with this whole idea of I want my movie on Netflix. Can we get my movie on Netflix? Or I hope to make a movie one day and hopefully it'll play on Netflix. And meanwhile, there are 300 streaming services and counting right now. So why all of the importance an emphasis on Netflix, Nick. Yeah, I think they're putting the wrong emphasis to the wrong syllable. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, man. That's where it comes to. Like, Netflix is in the business of Netflix, right? Like, I think I was just telling you uh, the other day, it's like you sit there and watch, you turn it on. And the first thing you see is, you know, number one in the United States today, you know, number 10, you know, I was like, what, what, what is this? Oh, it's a Netflix film. What's number four? 
Netflix film. What's number two and three? Netflix film. Five through seven, Netflix film. Oh, mm-hmm. number nine is a Disney movie. And number 10, Netflix. It's like, what? So it's all Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. Where is the room for the independent filmmaker? So, you know, every once in a while I do that thing where I go in and I search for independent film, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to support the community. And I would say, I don't know, what, like 70% of the, in, oh, let's look, let me think about it now. 60% of those independent films are like, you know, TVMA. There's got to be some like sex, sex and more sex. And then you've got independent films that are like studio independent films, mm-hmm. you know, so they're like still Netflix original films, but they're independent. Right. So it's like. Mary's story. Yeah. Roman. You know, so I'm like, I'm not even getting you know, legit what I'm looking for. I can't even support my community because I can't even find their stuff. So, you know, where independent filmmakers are like, yeah, I want Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. You know, you don't want to be completely pessimistic in this, but you want to be as realistic as possible so you can give filmmakers the best chance out there. But it's like, again, Netflix is in the business of Netflix. They're not in the business of independent film. So, you know, with filmmakers continuing to make that the, you know, the North Star you know, the, the place where they have to be, they want to be in order to, I don't know, is that a get rich quick thing? Is that just the only way that you can get your esteem? I don't know. But there, like you said, well, well, let's stop. Let's, let's stop. One. Let's stop right there. Yeah, go ahead. Cause you just, that was a bar as we say in the hip hop world, <laughs> that, was, that last piece about getting one's esteem. I want to touch on that. I want to dig into that a little bit. Cause I think, that is so critical. And we've talked about this concept of giving up the dream and there's a new dream in town. And the new dream is my movie's going to play on Netflix where the traditional dream is I want to see my movie on the big screen. And those are valid dreams, but they become, they become detrimental to you when it's something that, puts blinders on the rest of the market. And by the way, Nick was talking about the top 10 lists on Netflix. So they have a, a top 10 list of, you know, weekly, same as like Apple or billboard or whatever. Anyway, Nick, so talk to me a little bit about esteem and why filmmakers, like what is driving that? Is it, is it more that they want a successful film or that we as creatives want to be, profitable or is it more that we want our parents to be able to tell their friends i told you my son was or daughter was serious look they have a film on netflix yeah and i think that's you know they're all part of the equation and i think one of them is chasing a dream of uh, days gone by which is a time when netflix was starving for content and was building um you know, building up their bank account, basically. That was prior to them investing, what, $12 billion in in filmmaking. You know, they needed content and they were buying content. You know, they, you could hear about these deals of, you know, a million dollar deal for a film. And again, that those are days gone by. Those days don't exist for the independent filmmaker anymore because Netflix can make it their own content. You know, they're leveraging, you know, um, known brands, known intellectual property, you know, known characters, known actors, like, they don't need 
the independent content anymore. So one, I think it's chasing a dream that, um, that this still exists and it doesn't, which is why I just think it's flat out. It's a dream, you know, it's not happening. And if it does happen, you know, again, we can't be absolutist about this, but it's one in a million, right? Mm -hmm. So the chances of it happening for you as an independent filmmaker are, are extremely significantly, ridiculously low. And then the other part is, is that the popularity of Netflix, you know, Netflix is the most popular streaming platform, period, the end, right? So if you can get on that platform, then it seems like you've done something. Mm -hmm. the, like you mentioned. Of, uh, survey. Yeah. Like you, you've 93% of respondents had heard of Netflix. So by far yeah. the, the biggest streamer. By, by exactly. The level. Yeah. So, and again, you know, that's, that's a, it's a big deal, yeah. you know? So if 90, you know, what is it, 98 what was it your percentage? 93% of all, 93 all respondents. Right, right. So 93% had heard of Netflix and probably 90% of those people actually have Netflix. Um, you know, it's, it's a big deal, you know? So like you said, your mom, dad, you know, friends can say, Hey, my, I have a friend on, you know, or my son, my daughter, my, my buddy is on Netflix. It's a big deal. Uh, and my thing is, is that, you know, with the barrier to entry being so high, I mean, it's just monumentous. You know, I look at that um, for Netflix, for um, Hulu, for Disney Plus, and they're all the ones that, you know, people talk about. I'm like, what about the other ones? What about the other 300? You know, and it's not just for I'm not talking to individual filmmakers now. Now I'm talking about now I'm talking to the community. So my big question is, why isn't the independent film community saying, you know what? We see what you're doing, Netflix. We're going somewhere else. Like we're not fighting to get on your platform anymore. There are 300 other viable options for us to get our stuff out there. And of those 300, here's the top five that really support independent film. And we're going to now tell everybody to subscribe to these platforms. We're going to push these platforms on our social media. We're going to tell our friends and family to sign up for these. We're going to get our content on those platforms and we're going to get paid from those platforms. Like, what? I, I just don't like what's the barrier to doing something different? Well, it, it, there's no real barrier. It, but the argument begs the question of it of itself. Almost. It's like, why do you want on, to be on Netflix? Oh, because 93% of respondents are aware Netflix exists. <laughs> they might not be aware that those other streamers exist and ultimately you want your film viewed. I think it's an interesting business problem because somebody has to be that creative that goes out there and builds up a little known streamer so that it can be a really well-known streamer that's in the game. And even some of these lesser well-known streaming uh, platforms like Vudu and Tubi and others, they're actually owned by giant, giant companies that we've all heard of. So not, not even counting those places, uh, a great place to, if you're an independent filmmaker, I think there's two places you should definitely look at maybe three the sundance channel that streams is great there you I, go ifc would be great there you go and then a third one and this isn't biased but it's true is gravitas because gravitas has their own streaming service it's five dollars a month and you're going to see nothing but independent films on there and somebody has to take the leap somebody has to open their wallet 
and spend the $5 to be part of these networks or some of them are free. Some of them are, of them are AVOD, so ad-based video on demand. But somebody's got to do it because that's the only way it's going to happen because the issue is just like advertisers and marketers, excuse me, filmmakers also need scale. And there's, there's just no better scale answer. There's no proxy for scale in media like advertised video on demand or our ad-based video on demand. So AVOD, that is the ultimate in scale because it's going to be free to watch for the consumer and ads are going to be able to come in there uh, and support it. So you're going to get a ton of viewers. You're going to get a ton of eyeballs on that. And that is really hard to compete with. So if you think about what I'm saying, like so Peacock, for example, their model is going to be AVOD and it's a, it's a strong bet for them because they own so many sitcoms and so many yep. sort of TV dramas that'll just feel like TV. It's like all these people cut the cord, but cable just follows you to your OTT box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said, okay, well, well, we'll set up camp here and, yep. see, and see if this works. So the what hasn't changed, but the how has changed. So I think that's the issue. There's a bit of a paradox even in the question. It's like, okay, I want my movie scaled, but I also want to support some of these lesser-known streamers. There could be interesting math at play, too. Uh, a lesser-known streamer could be a little bit more desperate for a really good film that's an independent film and pay a bigger licensing fee, whereas when you deal with Amazon, you have very little power to negotiate the level of your deal, especially if it's an independent film and it's a straight services deal, you kind of have to take the deal they give you. And they're so big and such a behemoth and they have such scale that your movie will get lost in a, in, in a mound, be a needle in a haystack for them and will get very little attention. So I think there's some upsides to going to these smaller streamers too, both financially and in terms of the customer service and care they might give to your film. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm just looking this up now, and uh, this is from September 2018, but, you know, IFC was in reportedly 63% of households with a television. Like, that's not bad. That's pretty freaking amazing, actually. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's That's there. amazing. Right. So it's there. Now, whether or not they're subscribing to it is different, but they're, it's there. It's available to them. And what I'm saying is that we might be at this point where – you know, maybe we're the first ones to say this and maybe there's a movement we can start with this. But it's like we need as an independent filmmaking community, we need to promote the things that promote us. Right. Yes. So, you know, so if there's an opportunity through IFC, through Sundance, through, you know, to be or voodoo or whatever to really promote, you know, independent film being watched, uh, independent filmmakers being paid, then that's what we as a community need to do, because I think. You know, I don't know if people forget this, but the independent uh, filmmaking community is gigantic. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not some small thing. This is it's a huge community. So if the community were to get together and say, yeah, these are the channels that we promote, then it could potentially be a game changer for the community itself. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, honestly, if I told my parents, hey, I need you to go ahead and get that Gravitas app on your TV, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, because my movie's on there, so go get it. They're gonna do it. I mean, it's it's, right. it's not a thing. It's not. It's, and, not, it's no and, question. And the, the barrier to entry is so small as well. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's no question, right? They're just gonna do it. So if you take every filmmaker, independent filmmaker, and you multiply them by ten, right? You send them to a platform. The people are gonna do it, and maybe that's what we need to do. You know, that's that's our job. We're always advocates for the filmmaking community. I think that's a maybe we have an action item, dude. It's like going to a meeting. Up oh, action item for bonsai. You know, figure out what these maybe top three, top five channels could be. And then we just start boosting them. You know, we talk about what's out there. We talk about the latest content, but we start telling our filmmakers, hey, this is the platform that pays you or this is the platform that is really about you. Focus on this. And if we we probably should do some research, research to find out, like, what's the distribution model? Like, do you need to go through traditional distribution? Can you go straight to them? You know, what does that look like? And maybe we get back to them during the next Indie Talk making that move and, and, and supporting that as a movement could be kind of huge. I think that, I think that's pretty exciting, but the, again, the thing with Netflix is simply the awareness is there. The interest is there. You, they know they're going to get eyeballs, but if, but if you try to follow the puck and see where it's all going to end up, I think, what we're going to see is sort of a licensing game get played. So, so a short-term game of, uh, or maybe it's a long-term game, actually, of I own this content, you own that content, and let's see where people over the next three to five years, you know, what kind of content do they like? Where are they going to end up spending their money? Or maybe we'll see linear TV through OTT take over the subscription space and become so popular that everybody has to drop their prices. And there's just like a run on the market and like a, just an absolute um, fire sale. So HBO max drops from $15 a month to $5 a month or something like that. But cause Netflix is going to lose all their NBC stuff, including the office. Yep. So how are they going to backfill that? You know, net, you know, the office has a legacy, right? So when Peacock, uh, Peacock's rolled out. They're going to get the office in January. They're going to get all the NBC content. HBO and Warner and AT&T, they're going to take all their content and continue to build out their service. And so you could be seeing you know, Hulu's controlled by Disney now. So Hulu and Disney are one because Comcast sold their stake in Hulu, right? So now... It is, it, is, it is going to be interesting to watch, Nick. It's going to be an arms race and a Cold yeah. War all at once <laughs> for the next three or five years to decide where everybody's going to turn their eyes. And so, but it's going to be like one of those things where the, maybe the independent filmmaker is you know, in their homes watching the bombs go by over their heads. Right? Like that's, that's where I kind of feel like ah, some of the- You're advocating for independent filmmakers to be Switzerland. Yeah, that's you know that idea. Yeah, like like you need to like let them fight it out. You know, let them do what they're gonna do with their branded IP and all this kind of stuff. But like, where is your home, independent filmmaker? You know, where where do you feel safe? Where are you making your money? Where are you building a career? You know, and I think that's what that's what we need to find out. You know, and then share that because there's a lot. Like you said, three hundred potentially plus streaming services out there what are the right ones for independent filmmakers and i think that you know again if the community supports those 
then it could be huge. It could be a game changer for them. I totally agree. And I think it's something that I hope independent filmmakers hear this and they go out and they start a revolution and we can, we can track it. Uh, speaking of streaming services, I want to talk a little bit about Peacock and more specifically my tweet that I sent earlier this week to Nolan Gallagher, who is the uh, CEO of Gravitas and a Gravitas is sort of this, this sort of giant aggregator of independent films. And I asked him, was a partnership with Peacock in the works? And he responded and said, we're definitely looking at it. Peacock is already sort of streaming several of our films as is. So is there an opportunity, if you can be quick enough, Nick, for independent filmmakers to sell into Peacock? I think so. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, some, you could call them pundits, I guess, uh, would say that Peacock is late or NBCU is late to the game. I'm like, you're not late to this game, man. You know, I think basically people were watching to see someone prove the model. You know, the model works and now everybody else is jumping into the game. And if you own intellectual property, you own brands, you own an audience, then, hey, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And Peacock is doing that. But as they're building this thing, it's the same thing with like with Disney. You know, Disney has, you know, I would call it a decent amount of content. Right. It's not a crazy amount of content, but Mm -hmm. it's a decent amount of content to keep people interested. And then you're coming out with series and, you know, dropping things uh, that people can only it's exclusive. Um, But Peacock is going to need they're going to want to compete in a real way. And since they're just coming out, you know, they're definitely looking for content. Uh, But again, I think this is everyone needs to understand that this is a business. Um, It's a and, and it's not a small business, right? This is a major player in exactly. content. Exactly. So, so what they're going to do is, like you mentioned about Gravitas, right? Peacock isn't looking for film A, right, or film B. They're looking to partner with people who have slates of content in order to distribute you know, films, in order to get their slate up. So that's what they're looking for. So Gravitas that has, you know, I think over a thousand films. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. right. So like, it's like 1100, nearly 1200, uh, titles, you know, they can go to, you know, to, uh, Peacock and say, yeah, look at this. We we've got 1200 titles that are ready to go. You know, 400 of them, uh, were actually, uh, between 2017 and 2020. So it's relatively new, fresh content for you and we can help you build your catalog. So I think that right now the key isn't for independent filmmakers to seek out Peacock specifically, but to have conversation with distributors who have conversations with Peacock. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, And NBC and and, and Peacock, they can ask a, a Gravitas, for example, for curated slates as well. So it's very unlikely they'll take all 1200 of their movies. That's right. What will happen is, is Gravitas will put their very best films together in a package and sell those 50 together. Not that that's any better for the filmmakers in that, in that slate because they'll have to share uh, licensing, but it, unless their deal says otherwise, but that is kind of what happened. So it's important. It's still important to make a good film so that you can end up in that, in that grouping of that curated 
uh, of that curated licensing deal that that's that has potential there with Peacock. But then again, I look at I still look at the whole thing that we talked about before, which is okay, Peacock buys fifty, Netflix buys five or ten, Hulu buys five or ten. You spread these things out, and it's important for us to go and make sure that we support all these other streaming places so that you know they don't ultimately go the way of, of Filmstruck and, <laughs> and wind down their business or, or any other sort of... There's been so many places that support independent film and, and aren't able to hang around because they're not... They don't... Those services, those companies, they don't fit into the narrative of the dream that the filmmaker has where they want to place their movie and have people view it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of fresh content out there to be had, you know, Gravitas in 2020 already. So I'd say that we're still in the seventh month. So let's say halfway through uh, 2020, they've already acquired, you know, 40 films. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they it's have acquired, right. But if they've acquired too the many. equivalent, the equivalent number in 2019, let's say it's 80 films since we're halfway through, you know, between 2019 and 2020, you know, right there, you've got 120 films that are available to be put potentially on Peacock, you know, and if you take just 10% of those 12 films, you've got 12 films that are ready to go mm-hmm. for Peacock. So I think that that's, that's the model here. And if you've got a, a, again, a great film and you can get it to a distributor and maybe that's the conversation. Hey, you know, we really like you as a distributor. We see that you guys have done some great things. You've got content that's similar to ours. We would love to go with you. Uh, quick question. Are you guys having a conversation with Peacock right now? Do you have an agreement with them? And having that conversation might, you know, and if, if a basically if a distributor says yes, we are like heavily going down that route or we are already engaged, that actually might be a really good sign. And it's a potentially a better sign than anyone says that they've had a past relationship with Netflix or if they say that they have a relationship with Netflix because that ship for independent films for the most part is sailed. So, you know, don't go looking for the next distributor who can get you on Netflix, go to the next distributor who can get you on Peacock. <laughs> yeah. Right? It goes back to the old saying, uh, you must not fool yourself and you were the easiest person to fool. I got a prospectus this week and it had language like this movie's small, so it doesn't need to find a distributor. What? There's all sorts of, what's it going to do? There's all sorts of stories that we tell ourselves like this, this equals that those things conflate. No, they don't. Uh, this is a low budget film, so it'll make its money back fat. No, it won't. it'll just be worse. It'll just be worse and less people will be interested in it. And you'll have no money for branding or marketing and your, your chances of failing are very, very high. That's kind of where it's at. And I'll, I'll go on a very small rant here Two so two things, actually I'll dig into what you said and then go on a very small rant on Peacock, digging into that. It has to be in the next six months or a year, I would say, unless it's a niche film or very exceptional. And the reason why is because, you mentioned earlier that they were kind of getting into the game late. They are, but they own so much content. They have equity in these right. in these programs and this program and this content. They're not going to have any problem in the long run. But right now, they are shy of content compared to their competition. Right. So right now, you can help bolster that on the cheap in their books, 
on the front end, whereas they have a two to five year plan. And by 2022, they're going to have more content than you could ever watch in your lifetime. And it's going to be premium content and they're going to give it away for free. So it's going to be, well, there'll be, there's a paid plan and there's a free plan, but I think the majority of people will take the free plan. And then uh, you heard me sort of whisper back to you a little bit that, or chime back to you that 40 is too much, 80 is too much. And what I mean by that, if, if you're listening, is it's, it's a great, it's, it's a perfect amount for Gravitas. Their business model is an aggregation model, the more the merrier, but it's too many for a filmmaker. So if you want to be a filmmaker's distributor, if you want to be filmmaker forward, you don't want to acquire that many movies because you'll, you'll need to manage each film appropriately to maximize its output. And there's two kinds of distributors, uh, it seems like, in that independent film space. It's the kind that do about 12 movies a year and really focus on each one in each property and really nurture it and make it as good as it can be. And then there's the aggregators out there who actually use aggregation services to push their films out. And then they aggregate their profits on top of that. So again, even if your film made just $1, that's $1 they didn't have yesterday. You times that times their 1200 films and they're, they're paying their bills. That's kind of how it works. So there's my, there's my small rant, Nick. So any other thoughts on this before we go to our next topic. No, I think it just to wrap it up is really just, you know, right now Peacock might be the place where independent filmmakers should be focusing their attentions when it comes to well, which distributors have relationships with them as opposed to keeping their eye focused on this Netflix deal that isn't going to come. Precisely. So either you can keep an eye on that as a filmmaker or be sure to email, talk to call your distributor and see if they're going to start negotiating with Peacock. And if they're not, please implore them to do it right away. Yep. Uh, this week I came upon, thanks to shout out to Nathan Edwards, a friend of the podcast who put me on to we funder. So W E so capital W E capital F U N D E R we funder, we funder.com. And it's a platform for angel investing, which is something uh, Nick and I are personally interested in, in many verticals, but also film. This isn't a filmmaker's website. It allows you to angel invest in startups, which is very, very risky. And the thought across our minds, is it riskier to invest in an unknown film, sort of like going to slated.com or is it, riskier to invest in a startup you don't know anything about or you know very little about and they could fail and nick my opinion on this was that film was not safe by any means but safer in the sense that if a film actually gets completed there's a good chance it's going to get some type of distribution if it's at least decent and you might make some of your money back instead of the startup route, which you make no money back if it fails. What do you think? Yeah, well, I will say that, um, you know, if you go through the FAQs on wefunder.com, you know, one of the things that's kind of just jumped out at me that's very important, especially when it comes to film, is uh, this line, this, this paragraph. I'm going to read it real quick. Mm-hmm. It says, 
Our opinion is that investing should not be solely about earning a return. To invest in something as risky as a startup, you should feel something extra beyond just a business model. For us, that something extra is the personal fulfillment we get from helping a founder take their shot and making our world a slightly better place. We also think it's pretty cool to learn about different industries when we get updates from the founder. So just take it back to that, right? To invest in something as risky as a startup, you should feel something extra beyond just a business model, <laughs> right? And, and that, and that honestly, it really hits home with film. Yeah, it right? does. And the, and the thing, and the messaging that we always give to um, to filmmakers about, like, you know, when we ask like, the why questions, why you, why now, why this film, it's right. kind of like, you know, what is that extra feeling that I have in your film, right? It's not. Again, it's not it's not the return. It's that I, as an investor, am personally invested in other ways um, in the content. Right. Of your film, whether it's maybe I'm a horror buff, maybe I'm a baseball buff and your film is about baseball. You know, maybe it's about dogs, maybe it's about cars, maybe it's about whatever it is. Um, That's the extra something. Right. That's that. That's that thing that you're really you're already invested in. And now this gives you an opportunity to invest directly in someone else telling a story or someone else portraying something that you love or whatever the case is. And I think that's the thing for like sort of something like WeFunder. The idea is that you have this opportunity to invest, uh, to be part of something, you know, that's related to something that you love, something that you like, something that you're interested in. And as WeFunder says, it's like, no, you could lose all of it. Like just just so you know that, like off the jump, if it if it hits, you make money. If it doesn't, you lose your money. So make sure you don't invest anything you can't afford to lose. Yeah, one hundred percent. At the there's a question at the bottom of the homepage. It says, "How is investing on WeFunder different than the stock market?" Drop down. Yep. It's much riskier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and it is, and and it says the outcomes are binary, and it is, and that's. I don't think, I think this is an interesting place to put your film because you're going to get people that invest in your film that are not professional, well-experienced investors, angel investors. So they're going to get all the disclaimers. They're going to know, hey, you could lose all your money. It's all good. You're doing something for a filmmaker. I think in that way, it's really awesome. And these people are going to get to wet their feet as well as investors and say, okay, this is the kind of movie that works. This is the kind of movie that doesn't, but a professional and experienced investor with good judgment won't, won't flock to this site because, and this is a great segue just to say that the, our new series, which will come out next Sunday, I believe called investing in film. will speak to some of these points and, and some of these axioms that exist to, to help people who do want to invest in film make better decisions and have better judgments. But I think in the world of, in the startup world, when you angel invest is very similar to film in the sense that you need to be on the ground with the creators. And this platform allows for a little bit of insight, but it's a little bit more like Kickstarter where you're on the periphery hoping that these guys do well or these gals do well, for example, in real angel investing, you, you would never, you would never make that move without having seen it for yourself 
face-to-face with the founders or face-to-face in this case with the filmmakers, the director and the producers. And then you can become personally invested in them and spend your money and make a judgment call on how much money that should be. So for example, Nick, you and I like to do micro investments across uh, a broad spectrum of films, but those go up or down based on the heat around the investment. So if there's another investor involved and then that investor brings his or her friends in and they're getting involved, that's a signal that maybe you should look at that and get involved as well. When a smart, experienced investor starts investing and bringing in his friends or her friends, then there's a good chance that you're dealing with a project that's going to be successful. But you don't have that insight on WeFunded it. Yeah, and I think I'll just say that, you know, it, you know, the, we, the reason we're bringing it up is that, you know, we're always, always looking for these opportunities for the independent filmmaker um, to get funded, you know, as well as being, you know, distributed and sold and all that. So, you know, this is an interesting opportunity. Is it something that, you know, we can fully endorse? No, right? We, we want to see how it can work. You know, I think they've, they've only had a handful of uh, films actually be funded, and there's a small handful of films that are looking for funding now. You know, like you said, this isn't for films specifically, but it does offer an interesting opportunity. So, you know, I think that's something that we'll watch. You know, we'll see how films yes. are, are doing on the platform and, you know, what types of film are garnering interest. And, you know, is there something outside of this platform that is really supporting these films or are they actually getting traction via the platform? Right. That's that's another thing. So so I think, yeah, it definitely presents a really good opportunity for independent filmmakers to think about uh, when it comes to, fi- you know, financing their films. One bit of advice and one thing to watch as, as we move forward with WeFunder. So the bit of advice is to move quickly if you're an independent filmmaker. As an investor, I don't think it's super important to move fast, although that could be disproven because the filmmakers that get to WeFunder early might have the most drive, the most ambition, and the best projects. Uh, but if you're a filmmaker, you want to get there soon before it, it becomes a film investment platform. Uh, these things have a way of taking over. So right now, it's, it's where tech startups are going and other types of startups are going to get their funding. But once filmmakers find it and get there, and that's WeFunder.com, <laughs> then... <laughs> then it will become saturated. And that's the problem with slated.com right now is that, is that it is, it is saturated with films. You don't, you, it's really hard to sort of weed your way through and figure out what to invest in, what to not. And, and then you feel like you're the mark all of a sudden as an investor, and you never want that feeling. You want to be the hunter, not the hunted. And we funder has the opportunity to, or the chance to become that over time. So my advice is get there soon. And then certainly the thing to watch as WeFunder progresses is how many films will flock to WeFunder and will it change the nature of that service over time and actually end up being the competitor to some of these other film investment platforms. But um, I'm interested in it. I think it's a great place to go if you have a great idea because all you have to do is do a pitch video and put yourself out there get this money, you're getting it from raw investors who expect to lose their money and want to dip their feet in. That's a pretty good cocktail for getting your film made if you're an independent filmmaker. So that's um, that's going to be a fun one to watch. So with that, Nick, I think 
we have wrapped up all of our topics. Do you have anything else on me, Funder, before we uh, close the show out? No, man. No, that's that's all I got. But, um, yeah, I think, like I said, always looking for opportunities for the independent filmmaker, um, you know, to find a leg up in this game. So, you know, this is what we do and we'll continue to do it. Truly the case. And we always have something new that's being thrown at us every day. And that's makes this job and, and this industry so, so much fun. So with that, if you want to reach out to us, have questions, comments, you can do that in a myriad of ways. You can do it on social media, on Instagram or on Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. You can send us a comment or DM us. We'll answer those right away. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. We'll come right up and you can do the same thing there and drop us a line uh, if you please. You can email us at contact at bonsai.film, B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. This uh, week, we have a couple of podcasts to check out. We have Maki Dapp's Mistakes in the Making from our Mistakes in the Making series. So if you haven't heard that, please go back and listen to it. We have a wonderful interview with the great Alan Powell. If you haven't listened to that yet, please go listen to that as well. He gives so much good and and practical advice about how to develop your story, sell your film and what you need to do. One of the lines I loved in that one, Nick was him saying that everyone has a phone more powerful than Scorsese had uh, shooting raging bull right in their pocket. So keep that in mind as you go out to create, you have some very powerful tools right at your fingertips. Last, but certainly not least, Nick, when you give uh, everyone the bonsai creative credo and sign us off. Yeah, man, for sure. You know, I love doing this part of the program. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because this, this, every, it sums up everything that we are and that we hope that uh, filmmakers aspire to be. And that's be better, be creative, be engaged. Nick, you're the best. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Let's do it again. Stay COVID free, my friend. Always. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Peace. All right. Later, folks. Later. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Banzai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.